It's time for Cofield and Company with John Von Tobel and Adam Candy on ESPN Las Vegas. Yeah, out on the road. How about that, huh? As Angel likes to say, 2121 East Craig Road. That's the spot. Happy hour over at Victory's Bar Girls. We're here for baby. Starts at 4 o'clock. Dollar hot dogs, $2 domestic beers. How about $3 imported for all you fancy pants out there? $4 wine and cocktails, too. Victory's Bar Grill inside East Cannery. That is where we are today for Cofield and Company. You heard Adam Candy alongside as well across town. Adam, how are you? Have you gone outside today? That is my question for you, my friend. Unfortunately, John, the answer is yes, because this dog of mine would destroy my home if I had not walked him. But we were back inside by like 10 after 8, and I have not even thought about it after that. How rough is it right now? Uh, So on my way in, uh, my car clocked in at a nice 110. Ooh, baby. Yeah, and I always – I never know, like, is that – where that temperature reading, is that like the heat of, like, my car? Like, if you put the hand on it, you know what I mean? Like, I've never – because sometimes it feels like it's – it reads a little hotter than it really is. Cause it felt like a balmy, like 107, you know, when I walked out there. Not so much 110. Yeah. No, I mean, those, those three degrees are, are everything. And I kind of judge it by, you know, how does the sweat, like right there in the small of my back, like how hot is it yeah. sitting in the car against that seat? And that, to me, is I think, I think that's where the car measures. So most times my car says like 300 degrees. So, so let, me, let me ask you, what is your – this is always very important out here in Las Vegas and other you know, towns like Arizona – um, towns, it's a state, uh, and other spots like Arizona, what is your procedure for when you get in your car? Are your windows tinted, too? Because that's also another important question. So I didn't go for window tint, but when I got my new car, and I say new as though I'm not like two months from paying it off, but uh, when I got this car, uh, it had remote start, and so Ooh. that is the key. I, I will actually like I will start to walk out of a building and then realize I haven't gotten the remote start going to get the air conditioning going before I get in, and I'll walk back into the building, start the thing up, and then wait for at least a good minute of that to blow into the car. Otherwise, it's just death. That's nice. Yeah, I, uh, so I, ha- I open the door. I don't have pre-start or whatever, you know, fancy pants technology that is. Oh, yeah, very fancy. Um, but it's weird because it's like a tale of – it's like two evils, right? Like because I get in my car, and then I open the door to let the trapped heat out. There it is. But then, like, there's still heat outside, but it's lesser heat because it hasn't been baking in the oven that is my non-tinted car. Uh, so it, it is a little difficult. Uh, although I am not like you. I do not have a dog. And I am not like the Las Vegas Raiders who are forced to go outside for various many things. Uh, I can stay inside if I want to unless I'm going out to Victory's Bar and Grill, which I'm at right now, 2121 East Craig Road. How about that? Um Ooh. But did you see this report? This is great. So the Raiders reportedly had to switch to early morning minicamp practices due to the weather report this week. Temperatures forecasted to be 115 degrees all week. Global warming is not a real thing. Vinny Bonsignor of the Las Vegas Review-Journal. Hey, I know that guy. Reports that the Raiders had to move uh, because, Adam, not only is it, you know, insanely hot outside, but while they have it, because I saw a lot of, oh, the Raiders are so stupid, they didn't even have an indoor practice facility. They do. It's just not big enough and isn't feasible to use for a 90-man roster, which you have at this point of the year. So, look at that. Inside. I mean, basically, the Raiders have become every high school football team that ever practiced in Las Vegas, <laughs> right? Like, well, so, here's my thing. And I get it. Like, they're playing. I, I don't know. Maybe this doesn't really work. I've always thought this about UNLV games. Like, early in, you know, when they were playing at Sam Boyd, why would you not want games in the dead of summer? And then you practice out there, right? Come on. Toughen up. Use it as a weapon. Let's go. Other oh, teams, yeah. You know those boys from Wisconsin would just melt in the heat. They would never be able to handle it. That's right. Other teams have altitude. 
Las Vegas has potentially stroke-inducing heat. That's that's just listen. There's one thing if your opponent is just tired, right? Like they're at altitude, they don't have oxygen in their system, <gasps> they can't get their lungs going. It's another thing if they just stroke heat stroke out on the field. That's right. Right. So so just play, play eleven on ten. That's right. So just practice out there. You know, you, you couple of the flies fall off. That's just weakness leaving the body, right? You get, your, get your body's ready to go. Play in the heat, although they play in a dome stadium, so it doesn't really matter. Some I was going to come in here and be like, they should use this as a weapon, and then ultimately did not happen. So, damn it. <laughs> Regardless, um, it is nice to be inside at this time, not only because it's insanely hot, but because it is a wonderful time for sports, and especially if you're a resident of Las Vegas, because the Vegas Golden Knights, baby, in the semifinals of the Stanley Cup playoffs. How are you feeling, Adam? I know you are a supporter of this club. I'm assuming. I haven't really talked to you about all of your <laughs> fandom stuff. I know you know the New York Knicks and you love your New York area sports teams. But I've seen you back the, the Knights. So this is kind of exciting. I, I'm excited. I'm not even like a massive hockey guy, and I'm excited for this. Well, here's the thing, John. Everybody can get excited about this because now you look in front of the Golden Knights and you were seeing that giant mountain of the Colorado Avalanche oh, for uh, a couple of weeks. And now it's like, literally, huh? oh, thank you. Uh, and you're saying to yourself, oh, God, best team in the league. What are we going to do? And now uh, Montreal. Like, who, who, are, who is this? Oh, the number four seed from the North Division? Like, do they even have hockey up there? Like, this is a real hockey town here, Montreal. I don't know what they do up there. Yeah, I mean, it, I'm excited, John, for one reason. And it's the reason that uh, you and I talk to people often about is because of my wallet. Uh, it is because when the Golden Knights went down 2-0 to the Avalanche, oh, tell me, tell uh, our friends at the too. South Point hung 9-1 to on the Golden Knights to win the Stanley Cup. Okay, okay. And uh, I, I cleared out whatever I had left in that account. Uh, I, I got him at plus account. 540 to win the series against Colorado when they went down 2 nothing. So you and, I both, you and I both were getting in in different ways. I love it. <laughs> I love that. That's fantastic. I only got plus 350. That's really fantastic. So you sent this over in the notes, and I think one of the things that I have pointed out in terms of the Montreal Canadiens, right, because, look, we're going to talk about Carey Price later and uh, coming up in a couple of minutes as well. We're going to have Mike McKenna with us, and we'll we'll get the other stuff, uh, the other aspect of this matchup in terms of Montreal. I think one of the more underrated things here, Adam, and you, you get a little into the analytics as well, I think Montreal's a little underrated with what they've done offensively in their last two series. They've been nuts at five on five. You know, here's what you have to be careful about with this Montreal team because you're going to look at the odds and you're going to see series price Montreal plus 375, plus 400 and think, oh, the Golden Knights are going to blow this team out. I don't think so. I don't think that that's the Montreal team that's showing up here. You mentioned how hot they are. We know that they've won seven consecutive games coming in here. And beyond that, this is a team that is finally looking like the numbers said they should all year long. They didn't have good goaltending during the regular season. They did not tend to convert a lot of their chances, hello Golden Knights, during the regular season. And now they've started to match up to their analytics just as the Golden Knights did over their last two or three games as well. So you talk about what they did in the last couple series. I mean, look, the Corsi 4 puck possession numbers don't necessarily say dominant for Montreal, but, you know, they had it about 50% of the time, which uh, if you could do that against the Golden Knights, it's going to be a lot tougher for them, then you're going to be in pretty good position. But uh, as you mentioned, 
it's Carey Price giving them this opportunity right now with the way he's playing in net. I think the Montreal Canadiens are being undervalued in the betting market and are a live, live dog here against the Golden Knights. So when you looked at this uh, from a couple, and there is uh, a lot of, I think, storylines here, right? There's the way that Montreal has played. Uh, there is the fact that Vegas comes back down from 2 nothing wins four straight. And then you have the other parts about this, right? The fact that, uh, and if you pointed this out, this has been pointed out by many, uh, that Nick Suzuki has done a really good job for Montreal since he has been swapped over. And uh, there was another name involved in that trade. It seems like these one of these rare instances, Adam, where the trade works out dividends for both sides. Right. I mean, we always rush to judgment on trade grades. Who won the trade? Right. And then, you know, now we look at it a couple of years later, Max Pacioretty comes from Montreal to the Golden Knights, becomes the key scorer on the entire roster. Look at the difference that he made in the Colorado series compared to not having him against Minnesota until Game 7. And then you look on the other side and see, okay, here's our first-round pick, the first pick the Golden Knights had. Nick Suzuki goes over and becomes a top-six forward pretty quickly for the Montreal Canadiens. In fact, uh, you know they also ended up with Tomas Tata, who has made some contributions up there as well. So, you know, we, we always want to say, all right, who got the better of whom? And it turns out that these teams really both got exactly what they needed. The Golden Knights needed a goal scorer right then and there. And the Montreal Canadiens were in a rebuild, and they got a guy who's going to be a cornerstone for them for a while. So when you see these big price, how much of this is the influence of the market in terms of the uh – the lopsided support for the Vegas Golden Knights, or do you think this is accurate? Like, do you think that this should be price where it's at in terms of the series for VGK? Is there that big of a gap between these two? No, there's really not. And I'll go back to the regular season. You know, talking about the, you know looking at these teams analytically, five on five regular season, the entire course of the uh, the schedule in the NHL, Colorado Avalanche led hockey, fifty nine percent Corsi four. Number two were the Montreal Canadiens. And By the they way, just, I'm going to look this up. They were in the top five last year as well in even strength. Like They've been this team for a little bit. They really can play at this level. Now, they're not as deep as the Golden Knights. They really are a team that goes two lines deep, three on a really, really good night. But again, their shooting percentage was average on the year, so they really weren't converting a whole lot. Their save percentage was way down because Carey Price had a bad start to this year. Jake Allen kind of got them through for a bit, and now Carey Price is locked back into that Vezina form. But Montreal during the regular season, 24, 21, and 11. If you look at the teams in the top six of the Corsi, and I'm going down to six specifically to take the Golden Knights there at number six. If you look at the top six, the wins for the teams in the top six, 39 for Colorado, 24 for Montreal, Boston at 33, Carolina 36, Florida 37, Golden Knights 40. Montreal's the outlier there. Montreal is the team where the numbers said all year they should have been better. They were early in the season. They were terrible in the middle of the year. And then obviously now in the playoffs, they've gotten it right. Yep, last year... Uh, looking at a hockey reference at even strength rating, Corsi 4 in the league last season. Montreal second behind the Vegas Golden Knights. Expected goals 4 last year, even strength second behind the Vegas Golden Knights. So you've kind of seen like the workings of this team kind of coming forward, right? Like this has kind of been there. You mentioned a little bit of the blip on the radar in terms of the regular season, uh, but this is a team that has been analytically dominant for a good amount of time now. I've been kind of surprised. Like, look, I'm not an, an expert in hockey metrics, Adam, but I do. I can read, right? I know the scale at which they measure. And it is pretty surprising to see a team that, you know, what they have done in their two series from an analytical standpoint, what they did last year, like not getting as much respect. And on top of that, like there tends to be a bias in the market 
for teams with goaltenders. So, like, I have all of this, right? I have a team that is dominant and even strength in a lot of key statistical categories. I have a team that has a goaltender that can win a series on his own if need be, and yet we still see, see these bloated prices on them. I am really surprised the way the market has kind of handled Montreal from that standpoint. Yeah, I mean, you, Golden Knights, you saw open over a $4 <laughs> favorite, and it's moved up from there. It's not a huge move, but enough. And then you look at these two teams, and again, you just talked about the Corsi 4. You go expected goals for mm-hmm. at 5-on-5 five five in the regular season in terms of the share, expected goals for share. Golden Knights 8th, Montreal 10th. Like these, This team can play. It's a lower event hockey team. The Golden Knights are going to be a team that creates more opportunities. But again, when you check off the things that you need this time of year to compete, do you have scoring talent? Yes, they have two good lines at the top. Is their defense core as deep as the Golden Knights? Probably not without Petrie in the lineup, but do they have a goaltender who is playing at the level of a Marc-Andre Fleur? Yeah, they absolutely do. Carey Price is a guy who can do this this time of year. So no, to answer your earlier question, I think Montreal is way too long of a dog in this thing. I I bet them in Game 7 against Toronto. I bet them in Game 6 against Toronto and, you know, along the way against Winnipeg as well just because I don't really think the market is caught up to the fact that this team is playing better than the regular season point total suggests it should. So let me ask you this. So we've, we've spent a lot of time on Montreal, which we should. You know, it's the opponent, and we'll get to the Vegas Golden Knights perspective uh, throughout the show. So I'll ask you this from the Vegas Golden Knights side of things. You have the 3-1 lead against Minnesota. You blow it. You need to go to Game 7. You lose the first two games, and let's not forget how many minutes away were they from you know dropping three nothing to Colorado? A grand total of five minutes. <laughs> right, right. So you're you're five minutes away from a three nothing series deficit against Colorado. What is different about this series that we do not see the Vegas Golden Knights get stuck in neutral at any point over the course of a best of seven? There are two reasons that I would say, and I would talk specifically about the the Wild and the Avalanche. Look, the Avalanche are the most talented team in hockey. They did not close out games the way they needed to. They had the Golden Knights down 2-1 with five minutes to play in Game 3. They had the Golden Knights down 2-0 going into the third period of Game 5, and they scored the first goal of Game 6 20 seconds in, and they just managed to piss the whole thing away. Now you come back and say, all right, well, what happened against Minnesota? That was a team that uniquely frustrates the Golden Knights with the way that they play. Defensively, they don't let the Golden Knights do what they want to do, and VGK did just enough to get out of that series. So now you look at this series and say, okay, well, what does what's different here for the Golden Knights? It's going to have to be the depth of the talent. It's going to have to be that up and down the lineup, one for one, this is a better hockey team in the Vegas Golden Knights, but that was the same thing you could have said against the Minnesota Wild, and the system frustrated them, so... I think it's going to be important with the way Montreal has been playing, with the fact that they have the confidence of having come back from 3-1 down, uh, three, one down to Toronto. You can't let them in the series the way that the Golden Knights let Minnesota and let Colorado in the series because confidence, nowhere we can find it on uh, hockey reference or national yeah. stat trick, not a, not a measurable stat, but they have a lot of it right now. Well, Vegas again today, $2.75 favorite. Pretty much the consensus is about two seventy. Coming back on Montreal, plus 235, the first game of this best of seven for the right to make it to the Stanley Cup final. It is a fascinating time out here in Las Vegas and a very exciting time. Another potential bite at the apple for the franchise. I was going to say fledgling franchise, but at this point right now, I don't think they are. They are a very good franchise and one of the better ones in terms of the way they have been run in the National Hockey League. We will get the Vegas perspective inside of things a little bit deeper. Mike McKenna is going to be with us in about 15 minutes from now. Uh, When we come back, though, 
Let's go to the NBA. Uh, you know, it's funny. We we see things can turn on a dime, right? We saw this in the National Hockey League. We saw the fact that you had a 3-1 series lead for Vegas, and that turned into a Game 7 winner-take-all. We saw a 2-0 series lead for Colorado turn into a Vegas 6-game six, six win in that series. Well, the Brooklyn Nets, they had it They had it in their hands, Adam. They had it in their hands. They were leading 2-0 going back to Milwaukee. Well, we're going back to Brooklyn. It is 2-2, and another star is down for the Brooklyn Nets. We'll talk about that much more on the other side. It's for the Company live from Victory's Bar and Grill inside the cannery. 21-21 East Craig Road, people. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Irving, who lays it in, and it fell hard on his right side, and he's down. It's his right ankle. Oh, he really turned it back. They're going to be stressed now to produce in high-level situations if Harden isn't back or Irving isn't back, and it's going to be more difficult, but they can't think that Durant alone will bail them out. It's Cofield and Company on the road. Victory Sports Bar and Grill is the spot. We're going to be here all day, pretty much. Uh, me, I'm Jonathan Von Tobel, filling in for Steve Kofield, Adam Candy alongside as well. I will be here till 4.30. Ari picks it back up after that. He'll be out here until about 8, 8.30 for the start of the Vegas Golden Knights game against the Montreal Canadiens. Game one of their semifinal series in the Stanley Cup playoff. Adam Candy is here too. I can't remember if I said that already because I am just blown away by this breaking news from the New York Post. Adam Candy. The New York Rangers, in the middle of the rebuild, replaced and shook up the front office. Well, now they have a new coach. Gerard Gallant is now the next head coach of the New York Rangers, former head man for the VGK, of course. And uh, at one point rumored to be because I guess he was the head coach of an expansion team before, uh, the Seattle Kraken. Now he is on the East Coast. He's back on the East Coast, was in Florida. Now he's back with the New York Rangers of all teams. Pretty good hire. Look, Gallant's a good coach. Clearly, I think, when you look at the 270-216-4-51 career record, right, he is a solid guy to lead a team. You can quibble about the little things and, right, his love for running a certain franchise and the way he wants to in terms of the details, but he gets the job done. Can't really argue with the, uh, the hire, I think. Call it New Turk City, I guess now. Turk going to the Big Apple. I love the fact that... He's getting a chance in a big market like this because, again, Pete DeBoer is proving right now with this team that he can take them a long way. But I also think Gerard Gallant probably deserved a little bit more rope than he ultimately got Mm -hmm. from the Vegas Golden Knights. That being said, um, you know, here we are with the New York Rangers being in a not terribly dissimilar spot uh, to to where he's gone into before, like what he had in Florida and what he'll have – you know, now in New York, he's got Capocaco, he's got uh, uh, Lafreniere, he's got, you know, uh, he really has the pieces in place to, to go do something in New York. So, you know, good on Gerard Gallant for uh, getting the opportunity. Yep, so we'll see. Uh, of course, plenty of time to see how that works out. Let's talk about the real team in New York, though. The team in New York. The Brooklyn Nets. You heard it coming back. Kyrie Irving. That was a shot at your Knicks, by the way. Kyrie uh, Irving. Yeah, Cofield uh, used it on me last week, so I'm prepared. Okay. Uh, <laughs> as you heard in the audio, for those who didn't see, uh, a pretty gruesome-looking ankle sprain, man, uh, suffered. Which, can we get this out of the way really quickly? Adam, how is that not a foul on Giannis Antetokounmpo? 
That should have been a blocking foul on Giannis Antetokounmpo. He did not give him a place to land. So, like, it's 100% why he got injured. It's the reason why that foul is called now because of plays like this. But it's not called, and Kyrie Irving, of course, doesn't make a difference because his ankle gets twisted at a 90-degree angle, and he is out for what seems like the foreseeable future. But it's crazy how these things change, man. And after two wins, two really strong wins, you're thinking that, oh, this team doesn't even need Harden to get past the Milwaukee Bucks. And then you lose two, you lose Kyrie, and now Kevin Durant flying solo. So I, there's a lot to do this, right? There's the basketball aspect of things. I can tell you that the Nets with just KD on the floor without James Harden and Kyrie have a plus 14.4 net rating, and they have one of the best offensive ratings in the league. But you saw so much yesterday, Adam, immediately after the game was, huh, I knew KD couldn't do it by himself. Why do we do this all the time immediately? Like immediately after the fact, what are we doing? Do we do it to everybody, or do we have a special place in our hearts for Kevin Durant when it comes to this? I think we well we do it to the stars, right? We we do it to the like like all the good players. Like if if a if a good player like LeBron, right? We knew he couldn't do it alone, even though he lost in six games to the Golden State Warriors that year, right? Where he was getting big minutes from Timofey Mozgov and Matthew Dellavedova in that series. Like we do it to the stars because I guess we like to hate them. But I, I was amazed by, like, in the third quarter, he dropped 16 points. And sure, he is an inefficient game. Like, he clearly does everything possible to win that game. And, like, throughout the course of it on social media, it's just like, Look, can KD do this by himself? I knew he couldn't. I, I don't know. It's nuts. Like, your angle, I think what you're going for when, you're, when you saw this, right, because I can understand your line of thinking, that, like, the criticism of Kevin Durant never really trying to do it by himself is one thing, but immediately after – Two quarters of play going, knew he couldn't do it. That like that's something completely different, you know? Oh no, that's that's insane. To say that he can't do it to talk about one of the three best players in the world like that is ridiculous right. because Kevin Durant came back from catastrophic injury in his early thirties this year and put up a representative season that would not tell you that he ever was hurt after blowing out his Achilles and missing an entire year. So my question is, isn't this exactly what Kevin Durant has been trying to avoid since he went to Golden State? Since he went and said, you know what, I am going to, maybe not in the same way as LeBron, go build my own super team. I'm going to join a team that was already a super team and make it, uh, I don't know, a super duper team. And, you know, he won his championship. Good for him. Good for him. I'm not here to begrudge him that. But this, to me, feels like for whatever length of time they're going to be without James Harden, and he's been, you know, announced out for game five already. Like, this is going to be the situation where Kevin Durant is going to face that spotlight, that sort of un- unfair, you know, unwelcome criticism for doing something, frankly, that he's been trying to avoid. This is what he doesn't want. And so he's going to face unfair criticism. At the same time, he does have an opportunity to shut all of it up. Yep. And would it surprise me if he does? Like, Not he, in the slightest. Right, like comes out game five, 45 points on, we'll call it like 50% shooting, just absolutely dominant from the floor in terms of scoring, and they actually win a game uh, against Milwaukee. Like, I don't think it would surprise any of us. He's still really good, and they still have some decent pieces around him. You know, what's going to happen with that backcourt? Because they have like no point guards now whatsoever, so that's going to be pretty fascinating. But a massive Kevin Durant game happening in game five, I, I should not surprise any one of us. No, my God, no. In fact, it, you could almost expect it. And it's and you know this, John, you, you talked about it with me yesterday where I still, after four games, look at the Milwaukee Bucks and say, what have you done that says to me that this team is absolutely ready to win this series? Right. It's, it's not there. It hasn't been there. And the fact that they've moved to being the favorites in the series is interesting, I would say, because... 
let's look at what they have done through three games with the let's say hard, you know, the hardened less nets, and they really didn't show up uh, in any way that suggests they're going to be okay. And now in game four, they take advantage of the two stars being out, and, and here we are. But you also had the Brooklyn Nets with the secondary pieces like the Joe Harris's of the world just really not showing up the last couple of games. And I don't know, do you think there's anything to the home versus road, get, get Joe Harris right back in Brooklyn here in game five? I mean, shooters are, we, shooters are almost like pitchers sometimes, right? Like the sight lines, all of those things kind of mess with them for, to a certain extent. You would think that maybe just the comfortable confines of the Barclays Center maybe helps him out like to a certain extent because – like, he just sees things that we don't, and maybe he's more comfortable when he's shooting at Brooklyn. Uh, so I, I think there is something to the fact that just going back home helps you with your comfort level. Maybe it's the preparation. Maybe his routine was thrown off for the two games, whatever it is. Uh, but you could see total bounce back there for him overall. And I just think, like, this whole thing, right, and I think we just kind of do this with the NBA for some reason whatsoever, and it's not just fans, because we saw, like, I just don't understand – why we dislike the players of the sport so much, right? Like we see Glenn, Glenn Davis, and I get it because Davis, right, a former Celtic, like celebrating the fact that Kyrie gets injured, tweeting out like, I think that's the same ankle that he stepped on lucky with. Like, shut up, man. But like there's this, it wasn't just celebrating the injury and it wasn't just from Davis. Like there was this weird jovial attitude on social media of just watching this go down and thinking, okay, now Kevin Durant is going to experience some hardship. Kyrie's got injured. This is exactly where he wanted the Nets. Like it, there was a weird joyousness around this situation yesterday. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I thought it was kind of weird and kind of icky. I don't like. Well, look, I don't get. I really don't get it with Kevin Durant. You know, I mean, look, he he obviously is a different personality. He's a different dude. Uh, with Kyrie Irving, I think he brings some of the unwelcome attention on himself, but yeah. celebrating an injury is ridiculous, completely ridiculous. I, I watched that injury and thought, oh, God, you know what? What sucks is that we don't get to watch the absolute best product on the floor, right? This is an entertainment product. We want to see the best of the best. We want to see the big three, those three guys, Durant, Harden, and Irving, who as of May 20th of this year had played eight games together, 5.8% of the total minutes the Nets had played all year. They'd had those three guys all on the court at the same time. And here we were in the playoffs ready to watch the juggernaut. So, no, I mean, beyond anything else, I want to see that. Also, just as an aside, if you're someone who couldn't handle the nickname Big Baby, I don't want to hear what you think about someone getting hurt. All right. All right, well, there is a joyous attitude in Vegas because, uh, you know what, VGK, they are four wins away from a berth in the Stanley Cup final. Let's talk about this with Mike McKenna, analyst for the Vegas Golden Knights, who joins us next. Visit LVSportsNetwork.com for access to the latest podcasts and best interviews. Trying for the open net, knocked out of the air by McKinnon. It's a high touch, but Vegas gets it, and they score! Pacioretty from the right wing! Three goal lead for the Knights with 3.10 to go. Now, back to Cofield and Company, live on the road. Victory Sports Bar and Grill, it is the spot to watch game one of the Vegas Golden Knights series with the Montreal Canadiens. So come on down. I'm here until about five. Ari's going to get down here right after and be through. Uh, be here through, essentially, the entire game, all the way until 8 o'clock. Ari's going to be at late night. How about that party animal? Come in, buy Ari a drink, say what's up, loosen him up a little bit. You know what I mean? He needs it. He needs it. Adam Candy is here. I'm Jonathan Vontobel. We're both filling in for Steve Cofield. Let's welcome in Mike McKenna, analyst for the Vegas Golden Knights. 
had some time between the pipes as well. Mike, thank you for the time today, man. I appreciate it. So I think there's a lot to get to here in terms of this. Uh, you know, I was watching you guys earlier today in terms of the storylines around this series. So I will just ask you flat out, uh, aside of just being here at this moment, what are you most excited to watch take place on the ice in this series? The unexpected. Yeah. Who knows what's going to happen? Uh, we all try to make predictions. We all try to put the Swami hat on and tell and show how smart we are and what we think is going to happen in the series. And you just never know. And I think really, when you look at the last round against Colorado, you know, the Golden Knights go out, get out and they get waxed 7-1 in the first game. And everybody's thinking this is the end of the world. Well, look what ends up happening. They went four straight and take it in six. So I think for me, rather than specific points, it's just kind of the drama of an entire seven-game series, something new, Two teams that have not faced one one another in forever, it feels like. you got a team coming from Canada that they've been locked in this whole time. It's just, it's a wild dynamic. I, I think the unexpected is is truly the intriguing part of what we're going to see play out on the ice tonight. So, Mike, I'm curious, you know, you mentioned the fact that there's not that much familiarity. Uh, we saw the number that was getting passed around here for those uh, who did not see it. Montreal, the first Canadian team to play as visitors in a game contested in the U.S. in 460 days. So what does that unfamiliarity in terms of the opponents bring to the table? Is that is that high scoring? Is that sloppy? Like, what is that? It can be a lot of different things. And, you know, I actually have some experience with this with my minor league career. And I went to the Calder Cup Finals twice in the American Hockey League, and the Western and Eastern conferences don't cross over. So you're automatically going to play somebody that you've never seen all season long. And those first couple games are, are a mixed bag. You know, we had several high-scoring games uh, that I can remember, and I think part of that is because you roll into those series so quickly. At the NHL level, I suspect it's going to be a little bit different. It'll be more like what you saw between the Islanders and the Lightning last night. There was a bit of a feeling-out process. The coaching staffs for these two teams, the Golden Knights and the Canadiens, have been doing homework on one another all playoff long. This didn't just start three days ago when a series was won or further back for the Canadians when they knocked off the Winnipeg Jets. It's been very much in the minds of the coaching staff all playoff long. So you would imagine having these couple days to build up to the series that tactically, systematically, both clubs would be prepared for the task at hand. But the bottom line is until you drop that puck, you don't know what's going to happen. It might be a track meet. It could be 0-0. We don't know. I find that intriguing. Mike, if we're talking about doing homework on the Montreal Canadiens, what would you as a goaltender say the book is on Carey Price, who had his struggles in the regular season but certainly looks like Hart Trophy Carey Price again here in the playoffs? He looks like the Carey Price at the start of the year that we saw and really you've seen previously, saw it last year in the bubble, um, I don't ever believe that you need to look specifically at one goaltender and try to think how to beat them. You know, you can't look at a shot map and go, wow, this guy's bad. Well, high blocker side. We're all going to shoot high blocker side. That type of thing will overplay in your mind. And so I think when you're looking at any high-level goaltender, and you're going to face this the further you go on in playoffs, you've got to find ways to generate scoring that's unpredictable. Okay, now the Golden Knights were a great rush and transition team in the regular season. When they've added the layer of dirty goals, of people in front for screens and tips and rebounds and quick strike to the net, that's what they did against Colorado, especially late in the series. They didn't waste time. They didn't look for something better. They just got the puck to the net. They got bodies there. Whether it missed, whether it was on goal, they were able to generate. And I think when you're facing Carey Price, it's a lot of the same. You cannot let him get in your head. 
Saw it in the Minnesota series briefly. Cam Talbot was in the Golden Knights' heads for a little while until they finally said, they shook their heads and they went, enough of this. We're going to score. We're going to be determined. You need more of that from the Golden Knights against the Canadians because, yes, Price can steal games, but he can't do it if he can't see the puck and if he doesn't get much help in front of him. Mike McKenna with us again, analyst for the Vegas Golden Knights. So what, from, from Montreal's perspective, Adam and I, Mike, were talking about this at the top of the show where, you know, we, we always hear Carey Price and, you know, you think goaltending, and rightfully you should, but I, I don't think there's enough respect for what this team has done offensively in this postseason. What have you seen from them? Well, you know what? It actually just stems from what they've done defensively okay. and not just Carey Price. So this is a team at the start of the season in Montreal that played very well from the beginning, and people thought these guys are a contender. They're heavy. They play a hard game. It's playoff style. Well, midway through the year, they had some injuries. Price is hurt. Josh Anderson's hurt. Players are out of the lineup. Gallagher's gone for a while. They struggled through that process. Their coach is fired. They had to find their identity all over again, and they did that through their defensive play. You look at Shea Weber on the back end. Some of the pieces to the puzzle back there that play strong hockey, Jeff Petrie's been excellent, but it's been an entire team buy-in in the defensive zone. And their offensive side has come from that. You take care of your own D zone, you have the puck more often, you have it quicker. And they've allowed their young players to take over. Yes, Barry Kakaniemi is playing good hockey. Cole Caulfield, the reigning Hobie Baker champion from NCAA Division One hockey, has made an immeasurable impact to the Canadians 5-on-5 five five and on the power play. He's playing with Nick Suzuki, former VGK draft pick, first-rounder from 2017 in the Max Pacioretty trade, another underlying storyline. And Tyler Toffoli, who Toffoli, fans will remember from the bubble last year with Vancouver. So there's plenty of things at play that offensively the Canadians have been able to do, but it really stems from the back end, getting the puck on their stick quicker and going the other direction. Mike, got kind of the signature moment from Alex Petrangelo with the ultimately the game-winning goal against the Colorado Avalanche in Game 6, but his play did seem to kind of raise up another level or two in the first two rounds of the playoffs, even from where it was in the regular season, kind of to the Alex Petrangelo that you know we'd seen for so many years with the St. Louis Blues. What does he do to make this team better at both ends of the ice? Well, first and foremost, he's willing to eat a lot of minutes, but he does it through smart hockey. And, you know, you can throw Alex Petrangelo on the ice for a PK, a PP, 5-on-5, doesn't matter. You know what you're going to get from him. And I think his game has grown so well this year because he comes in, it's a new system. He's been in a different organization for over a decade. It's a shock to the system. You know there's going to be a transition period. You've got to get used to new systems, new, new line mates, new teammates. So he gets through that period. Well, then he gets COVID, and he's out for a while. Okay, he comes back from that. He starts to get on a roll again, and he's injured, and he's out for a while. I think it's really just been about the lead-up time to him coming to playoffs, finding his own, and Alec Martinez has been an incredible defensive partner for Alex Petrangelo. Martinez has allowed Alex Petrangelo to move his feet, to make those confident stretch passes, to take chances offensively and get in deep into the zone. Those are all things that Petrangelo has done previously in his career, and you can see that comfort level coming out now. He was dominant in the last half of the series against Colorado, and the big reason why they picked him up, his playoff experience, his leadership, you're seeing it now. So yeah, I asked Adam this, and I'll ask you, Mike, You know, this is really great that they've made it to this point, but we saw the 3-1 series lead get whittled down to a game seven. We saw what happened in the first two games against Colorado. Well, what is different with Vegas that we don't see them, for lack of a better term, get stuck in neutral in a series like this? Well, you know, I, the Colorado series, they were the better team for the six games. And even in game two, Philip Grubauer stole that. There's a couple things at play that I think have really kept the Golden Knights going in the right direction. The first one for me is to stay out of the penalty box. 
They took too many minor penalties early in the series against Colorado. They got behind the eight ball, and they weren't able to recover with it. And when you're facing a team like Minnesota, who has a resurgent power play, the power play has been very good in the series against Winnipeg. They've won seven straight games, and they've gained confidence from their special team. The Golden Knights have to stay out of the box because five-on-five is when the team excels. All four lines rolling, heavy hockey, everybody knowing their role and playing it to a tee. That's critical for the club. And I think for the Golden Knights, too, when you look at special teams, their PK has been phenomenal. They still have another gear for the power play. They need to find that in this series, get this series through, and then get to the Stanley Cup Finals. If they're going to have a strong final, they have to get through this series, and the power play will be a big part of it. Mike, you've seen what that building in T-Mobile Arena looks like with no fans, with a few fans, and now back to an entire building full of fans. I know we talk a lot about the home atmosphere and what it means to the Vegas Golden Knights, but what has it meant in particular here in the playoffs? Because it really does feel like, as you compare it to other buildings throughout the NHL, the 2,500 or so in Montreal, that it really can be a significant advantage. Yeah, well, the numbers don't play that out, unfortunately. (laughs) But uh, you do look at last, and that's across the NHL. So let me preface that, that it really, it hasn't bared out home or away makes a difference. But the players all have the feeling that being at home in T-Mobile does. It's a mental boost for them. And and you look at how they played against Colorado. Mark Stone said it best. They went and they lost two in Colorado, and he said, you don't worry until you lose a game at home. Well, how many games did the Golden Knights lose at home last series? None. So <laughs> you, you look at the strength of what they've done in T-Mobile, the way it's been able to put opponents on their heels. I, I firmly believe that most rinks are pretty uh, amenable to a, a visiting team. You can ride a bit of energy. But I tell you what, when you get a goal scored on you and you can't hear yourself think and you're on the opposing club, it makes a big difference. That building in T-Mobile is so raucous. I've been at, guys, I've been in over 90 professional buildings in North America. I'm a pretty good judge of this. I've been <laughs> all 31 NHL. I think T-Mobile is the loudest I've been in. I'm not a homer. D.C.'s a close second. Philly's crazy. But I think T-Mobile's loudest. And I think in those critical moments where the team needs a boost, they feel it from the crowd. So, Mike, you know what I find fascinating, too, about this is just, that, like, not even the contrast, but, like, when you look at Montreal, right, long story franchise. We know how, uh, how long they've been around. Like, what, first Stanley Cup was it, like, two, or 1923? And, and we have Vegas, you know, recently founded franchise here in, here in Sin City. And just the way that Vegas, like, the fact that they're here, right, four wins away again from a Stanley Cup, like, what does it say about the franchise and the way that it has been run since it's been founded? Because I think it speaks volume to the way that these team has been run from top to bottom. Well, that's for the Golden Knights, for sure. I mean, you've, you've, first it all started off with the masterful job of the expansion draft. Look at the players that were amassed. Riley Smith, Jonathan Marshall, so Marc-Andre Fleury. Go down the list. But a lot of that came from the wheeling and dealing that George McPhee was able to do leading up to it to leverage things and to uncover assets that were not valued like they should have been from other teams. It speaks to the depth of hockey as a sport in general. It's not just Canada anymore. You know, you've got a third of the league from the U.S., another third coming from all across the globe. You know, we're going to see players in the NHL. We've already seen one in Gage Quinney, but we're going to see more of them. Ten years from now, Vegas is going to be a hotspot for NHL players. I come from a market like that in St. Louis. Now there's three dozen players from St. Louis, you know, when that wasn't even on the map. It speaks to how much it's grown. And the, the scouting staff and the coaching staff with the Golden Knights, first Gerard Gallant and then Pete DeBoer, they've tapped into the strengths of who they have, and they've built a culture. When you want to win, you have to build a culture. You need everybody to buy in. 
and I think a huge part of that this year especially has been putting the C on Mark Stone. I think it took his game to the next level. His teammates have fed off his enthusiasm, his, his expressiveness during goals and key situations. He's been so important to this club, really developing their final identity. It's taken four years for it to happen, but this is the strongest version of the Golden Knights we've seen since their inception. And, of course, the first few years of that uh, were under Gerard Gallant before Pete DeBoer came in. Uh, your thoughts on how Gerard Gallant will fit with the New York Rangers where he's hired today? Well, he's fit in everywhere he's been when he comes in right off the bat. I was with him in the Florida Panthers organization and what he did there uh, in the same way with the Golden Knights, especially his last two goal runs in the NHL. They've been successful. And Gerard's somebody who has the respect of everybody that plays for him. They love to play for him. He's hard, but he's fair. Um, you know, I think it, they, the Rangers were probably looking for somebody with experience, clearly somebody with a bit of swagger, because obviously their ownership group thinks they're in win-now mode as well. And so, uh, you know, everybody here, and I'm sure around hockey as well, he was wishing Gerard the best of luck. He's a, he's a tremendous human being and a great coach, and hopefully that's a good fit for him. You never know how it's going to go, uh, but I think we'd all like to see him have success there, and you know, maybe someday playing a cup final against one another with the VGK on the right side. But you know how that goes. <laughs> Mike McKenna, again, analyst for the Vegas Golden Knights. Mike, we appreciate the time today. Thank you very much, sir. Anytime. Happy to be on. Thanks, guys. Yep, you got it. And again, VGK, game one against Montreal today. Victories Sports Bar and Grill is the spot. Happy hour starts at 4 o'clock. Dollar hot dogs, $2 domestic beers, $3 imported beer, wine and cocktails for just 4 from 4 to 6. Ari's going to be down here throughout the evening so you can take in game one of this semifinal series with the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, speaking of Ari, on the other side, very fired up. Matt, did you know Adam? He's a massive combat sports fan, like a massive one. He actually called a result in a boxing match this weekend. He was really fired up about Brandon Moreno and the way that he won at the UFC card. I cannot wait to see the detailed and nuanced analysis of Ari on the other side. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Man, I worked so hard for this, man. You know, I mean, I'm watching now, man. Watching now holding this, man. This is it's unbelievable. It's Cofield and Company on the road. Victory Sports Bar and Grill. It's where I'm at right now. 2121 East Craig Road, baby. Come on. It's a cannery. It's a spot to be here, all right? Vegas taking on Montreal game one. That's what the festivities are for, right? It's a good last-minute addition. You want to know why? Because we love coming out of victories. And also because Vegas is still alive, baby. Ari's going to be here all night long. I actually read at him that Ari's going to be here till 1 a.m., just partying all night long. Well, not on the clock, right? Like well, of he's, course. You know, he's off the clock by 8, but then he's just going to be pounding Jaeger shots the rest of the time. <laughs> Doug Marshall's like, no, no, I'm not paying for that. Like, no, no, he's only here until about 8. He's only here about 8. Hey, but the Jaeger shots, you can pay for those. Give them to Ari. I hear he loves them. little, you know, chilled shot glass. He likes it cold. He's kind of a wuss like that. But, hey, he'll pound shots like nobody's business. He was also very excited. I feel like he broke out the, uh, the Jaegermeister over the weekend. He was really excited. That voice you heard there, Brandon Moreno, who becomes the first Mexican-born champion in the Ultimate Fighting Championship and earns his belt and defeats Davison Figueredo in the Flyweight Championship over the weekend. Pretty cool to see. Also, you know, the first match, I don't know if you saw the first time these two fought, I think it was last year, everything melts together, uh, where 
it was actually a majority draw because an inadvertent shot to the groin deducted a point for Figueredo. So it was a really good series between these two. But I always find it pretty cool when we reach benchmarks like this, you know, first Mexican-born champion in this regard, like where you just see the first of something. And while it might not resonate with you, you know, my, my wife, a fully a full-blooded Mexican woman, thought it was very exciting to see something like this, thought it was pretty cool. Like so It drew her in into something she's usually not tied into. But I always like these firsts because we get to witness it. And while it might not resonate with you, be like, who cares? For some people it does. And I thought that was pretty cool to see. And because he's actually a really good fighter. Uh, and the emotion is obvious, right? Like, yes. w- like, we're here for entertainment. The big part of the entertainment is we see how much all of these competitions mean to most of the people that we're watching on a night-in and night-out basis. And when you can hear the emotion in someone's voice like that, it's kind of hard not to get sucked into that moment. And, and not that you wouldn't want to get sucked into that moment, but you see what it means not just to him, but to him as a representative of something larger than himself. That is correct. Now, Ari, he was excited about this, but he was more excited about, so apparently he called the results, and I didn't even know that this was happening this weekend, between Lamar Odom and Aaron Carter. Is this like, like, everybody come get it, that Aaron Carter? Like, that's who this is? Correct. Wow. So I took a deep dive, did all this crazy research and, and analysis, and came up with, the brilliance of Lamar Odom winning. Like, no one else knew this. That was my take. Was your take and that was Lamar right. Odom's just a thousand times bigger than him? And would <laughs> that part. probably destroy him? Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, that's all I needed. And here I am a week later. So this is, Adam, this is obviously the latest development in celebrity boxing. I, I don't know what's happening anymore to the sport, but boxing is nobody to blame but itself. Uh, I don't want to get into that. What I want to get into is, so I didn't watch this fight. I don't even know where it was available, whatever was happening here. I saw two clips from this fight on Twitter. I saw one which was Aaron Carter, and you can see me. Nobody else can except for Angel. And it was like a 10-second clip of Aaron Carter, like, punching straight up and, like, peppering Lamar Odom with, like, tiny little, like, pecks to the chin. And, like, Lamar Odom just sitting there taking him, like, not, like not barely even budging. And then I saw this where Lamar Odom pops him with, like, three straight lefts and puts him down on his ass. I don't know why you would spend money on something like that. That was one of the more outside of, I don't know which Paul it was, but whatever Paul fought the Mayweather the Mayweather, Floyd Mayweather, and was like doing that weird, stupid stuff in the first round where he's just flailing. This might have been one of the worst fights I've ever seen in my life. And I saw like 30 seconds of it. Kind of reminds me of when I was in middle school. I remember I was walking home from school one day, and one of the kids from the elementary school and his buddy came up to me, you know, kind of like surprised me from behind. Little kid looks up at me and just jumps up and punches me straight in the jaw. Now he's like. He flying uppercutted you? Yeah, like, and he's like five years younger than me. And. Like, it, you know, it doesn't hurt. My head barely moved. I just kind of looked at the kid and then kind of gave him one of these, like, just a little flinch at him like that. And he and his buddy, like, took off running the other way. That's kind of what I imagine Aaron Carter to be, is just a, a surprise flying punch at someone much bigger than him. So I know I come off as probably one of the most masculine men that you've ever met in your life. The uh, musk. But, but as I continue to, to, to peel the onion and show you my vulnerabilities, uh, one of my premier I – have, I have good fighting stories. I have won fights in my life. Uh, but one of my favorite ones is in first grade, I have a cousin who's older than me, went to the same school. Uh, her name is Angelica. Maybe one of my cousins and her family members are listening right now. And there was a moment on the playground where I was told my cousin was being berated by somebody. And I stepped in and I was like, you stop it. You know what I mean? Because I'm her cousin. It resulted in me getting thrown into the wall and like my back like hitting this edge of like a, like a cinder block. And then me going down in the heap crying. But I tried. I tried. And I was in first grade. But you know what? I don't know what the moral of that story was other than to embarrass myself a little bit and to tell you that I'm down, man. I'm down to clown whenever it's time. 
Yeah, well, I think the, the moral <laughs> of this story overall, the bigger picture, is that Ari never needs to book an Al Bernstein or another boxing or uh-huh. combat sports expert again. We're just going to interview Ari. Anytime we have questions, we're going to go straight to Ari and say, Ari, use that famous system that you used to handicap the Lamar Odom fight and tell us what's going to happen. I, uh, I, still, I, need to, uh, Ari, I still need Al Bernstein one time, if not just to ask him the one question, which is, am I right in assuming that it was marijuana smoke that Pete Davidson was blowing in your face uh, during that fight card <laughs> that one time? Uh, but outside of that, yeah, you're absolutely right. Ari is uh, perfect with his analysis. All right, we have the second hour on the other side. Uh, Stephon Gilmore, of course, beginning his holdout with the Patriots, what that means, two teams potentially in the running to acquire him, if that's going to be. And we'll also continue along this trail, right, the weird joy behind the failures of athletes, but uh, if I can throw it, but specifically basketball players, because Paul George finally comes out of a shell the other night, has a massive game, and of course, crickets on social media. Want to be part of the show? Tweet at Steve Cofield or call 702-364-1100.